Hello and welcome to the Filmmaking Stuff Podcast, where you'll get insider tactics on how to make, market, and sell your movie without the middleman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, LA-based motion picture executive, Jason Brubaker. Hey filmmakers, today's show is sponsored by MoviePlanPro.com. If you type in MoviePlanPro.com, you're going to be redirected over to Tom Malloy's film business plan template. Tom often refers to his business plan template as a confidential information overview. It's that special leave behind that you'll give with a prospective investor after you have a meeting. So again, MoviePlanPro.com, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Hi, filmmakers. We're on today with Trey McClarnon. He's a filmmaker, writer, producer, open mic, stand-up comic. Uh, he's a recovering attorney, which I think is pretty funny, by the way. Importantly, the reason why Trey's on the show is he has co-written and produced six award-winning short films, and he's presently in development on his first feature, which is titled The Other People. And I, I guess to hop into it, what was the impetus of, of taking what might have been a lucrative career and kind of throwing it to the wind to do something a little bit more speculative? Well, I mean, it was a situation where, you know, I've been an attorney for almost 12 years. And I, I feel like I did a lot of good and I feel like I helped a lot of people. Uh, but at the same time, like, I, I don't know that it was a thing that I was ready to dedicate my entire life to. And we had made several short films, my brother and I, and we've been doing a lot of other kinds of work. But our goal has always been since the beginning when we first started to make feature films. It's all we ever wanted to do. And that's a difficult thing to do nights and weekends. Like it takes just full dedication, especially because you're going to need outside money, you're going to need outside people, and you're going to need things, and you're going to have to have people believe that you're dedicated to what it is that you're doing. And uh, going to someone and saying, hey, I think this is going to be a good idea. I think that you should put your money into this. Uh, but I do nights and weekends is not really uh, something that instills confidence in people when you're going out and trying to talk to them. So we knew that if we ever wanted to pursue that dream, I was going to have to go full time. So I you know, planned with my wife. I talked about what it is that we needed to do. And uh, I put something in place to, to try to set up to try to take a run at this thing. Well, before we get into the actual projects and, and working with your brother and what all that's like, you know, you mentioned that you have a wife. And, and you also didn't mention this, but for our listeners, you're, you're not in Los Angeles. So you're in a different market where maybe the idea of making feature films isn't even the norm. No, absolutely. I, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and you know the the film industry here is nothing other than a than a dream and a glint in the eye. And it's it's weird because this is an art town. I mean, Music City, USA. But the idea of film and the business of film is a thing that this city is only just now starting to understand and realize. Take us through that process. Um, you're deciding to leave a career that you've known for longer than a decade to do this crazy thing. How do, how do you approach your wife with that idea? Well, you know, honestly, she approached me. Uh, I, uh, I was a personal injury attorney, so I, I helped people who had been hurt in accidents in order to get recovery so that they could do things like pay their medical bills, keep their house, and do all of those other kinds of things. And, uh, you know, that's a, a job where you take on a lot of other people's problems. You take on a lot of other people's suffering. And it was a thing that, you know, after over a decade of doing it was starting to wear on me a little bit. And I, I was carrying a lot more of it home than what I was really happy doing. And uh, my wife was starting to see that that take a toll on me and uh, she she basically had a conversation with me she said you need to figure out a different way to deal with this or you need to figure out something else to do with your life and uh, I kind of had a conversation with her where I said oh is that second one an option because I didn't know <laughs> that that second one was on the table 
And, uh, and so we started taking a serious look and having real conversations about what it would look like, what our life would look like if I were to take this entrepreneurial risk with film. What does that look like? I mean, do you have to cut back in terms of your overhead or, or how do you plan to make that move? Yeah, I mean, so the, the way that we did it is that I put a considerable amount of pre-planning into what it is that we were going to do. Um, and so when I made that decision approximately two years ago, well, I guess three years ago now two years ago before I quit the law profession. And I've been out now for a year. I knew that we were going to have to set certain savings goals, but in order to try to maintain the lifestyle that we uh, had, uh, also aggressively paid off debt, uh, paid off all of my student loans, paid off all of her student loans, got everything into a position where we were financially stable and secure as best that we could uh, to plan for the unexpected. Set savings goals of, of basically uh, a year of my salary uh, that I was earning at that time, and then uh, kind of looked at it as a burn rate for a startup, is that I'm going to go and make this film. It's going to take me as far as I can anticipate about a year to raise this money, um, and that we're going to have a burn rate on these savings while I work on trying to get this plan together and get everything in place. So with the money burning behind you, would you say that that creates more emphasis on getting things done? Well, it's definitely something that's a, a motivator. If you have that day where you don't really feel like making that phone call or you don't really feel like going to a meeting or taking a networking event or doing something else, you know, it is ever present there. Um, and, and knowing that you're going to have to do something and get motivated and get something accomplished or things are going to start nipping at your heels is definitely something that I think can push you to keep going. And how about your brother? You two decided to go into business together. Um, was filmmaking something he always wanted to focus on? He started off uh, as a commercial photographer. Uh, he got a camera from my dad when he was 14, and he had sudden clarity and certainty of the direction of his life. I mean, he knew that whatever was going to happen for the rest of his life was going to have that camera in his hand. And uh, I, I envy that amount of clarity <laughs> to a certain extent because my path wasn't as direct. But he had uh, started off working as a commercial photographer, and he was working a lot with clients. And as the technology started to develop more, uh, he started getting more and more requests for video work in addition to the photography that he was doing, the still photography. Uh, and he also started to recognize something about himself artistically is that the inspiration that he was having from a visual standpoint was more cinematic than stills. He was getting a lot more inspiration from uh, Stanley Kubrick and Ingmar Bergman than he was from Ansel Adams. And so he was becoming more and more interested in film as a medium. We both loved movies as kids. We were obsessed with them, watching them all the time with my mom. Um, but he became more and more artistically interested in the creation process of film versus photography. Uh, and I had had a background where I had always done some kind of creative writing. And so we started collaborating in that way. When you guys decided to go into business together, was that also sort of a two-year plan? Did you always know you were going to work directly with him? Uh, no, that was actually a, a very different road. I started off in undergrad writing plays, uh, and I had some plays produced, and I worked with some directors who I, I didn't have any kind of pre-existing relationship with. And it wasn't the most pleasant of experiences. We didn't exactly jive or have a shared vision as to what it is we thought the project should be. Um, and then my brother and I uh, made a short film together right around that same time. I wrote a script, I sent it to him, and he made it. I wasn't really involved in the production, and he wasn't involved in the writing at all. And there were things that he did from a production standpoint that uh, weren't my favorite, and there were things that I did from a writing standpoint that weren't his favorite, and we kind of threw it in a drawer, and that was it. And then we continued working in our separate capacities in separate ways, and then we worked as crew together for a friend of ours who had a short film. And we kind of started taking a look at it again. 
And then uh, weirdly, we were standing in a still photography art show with my brothers and started looking around the room and recognizing the people that were in the room and seeing that we had a guy there who could do sound. We had a girl there who could do wardrobe. We saw makeup. We saw music. We saw all of these people in the room. And he and I were standing in the corner and just kind of had a random conversation of like, I think we could make a film with just the people that are in this room. Uh, we started the company the next day. And we wrote a short film and we were in production on our first film as a company two weeks later. It was a, a very kind of just all of a sudden decision. Uh, and that was in about 2009 into 2009. And then we kind of built from there. Yeah. So in a sense, you know, one of the recommendations I always give filmmakers when they're when they're starting their first projects is to work with people in small projects to see how you work together, mainly to find out if you can work together on bigger projects. Uh, in this case, it's your brother. So I guess, you know, you can't just fire your brother. <laughs> no, you can. I mean, I wouldn't fire him as my brother, but if he wasn't a good director, I'd fire him as a director. <laughs> so so fortunately for you two, you found out that you worked well together. And I mean, 2009 was 10 years ago at this point. So you've been doing That's a right. lot of work and leading you up to this business plan that you're putting together right now. So I know, and we'll, we're going to unpack this in a second, but I know that you're raising money for the film, but you're also looking at it as a, a bigger picture that you're building a small studio in Nashville. Right. I mean, our, our goal is that we have been trying to build a pool of investors here in town um, because there aren't really a lot of other productions that are happening here. Uh, we're reaching out to the business community directly, getting them educated, getting them excited, getting them involved in film. Uh, with this feature that we're working on. And the idea is, let's get in there, let's have some fun, let's do this, show them how it works, and then let's roll into another one, and then roll into another one. And then let's start building out to where we're having these people who are excited about doing film in this town that we can get to the point that we're greenlighting productions not only for ourselves, but for other people here too. You, you're actually getting results. And I was so excited for you because, you know, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this and you can refine it, but I believe at that time you were pretty close to raising six figures or something like that. And now you've surpassed six figures. And I'd love to hear yeah. about your process of going out to investors and, and what you do uh, to prep for the meetings and how you're able to incorporate the movie plan pro into that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that you guys made a, a great product and it's, I, I think that the, the stuff that you're putting out is foundational for independent filmmakers as far as, you know, getting information and practical information. A lot of the stuff that you see out there is you know, dream oriented in some way, somebody selling some kind of promise of some kind of big success or something else. But the thing that I like about what it is that was there and what I saw in the plan from Tom and the information that you put out there is that it's realistic about what it is that you're facing. There's, I think there's so much more about filmmaking that is similar to laying brick than it is some kind of mythical thing that happens. You got to go out there and do the work. And, and a lot of the stuff that I see isn't that way. So that's what drew me to your, your product in the first place. As far as, you know, finding people and going out and doing things, uh, you know, the, the primary thing that I do is that uh, people say that if you do something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that that's wrong. Uh, it's that if you do a thing that you love, you'll work all the time. You just won't care as much that you're working all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll add that that other joke, and I know I'm going to butcher this one too, but isn't it, do they say something to the effect like entrepreneurs, you know, people that quit their 40-hour-a-week jobs so they can work 80 hours a week for half the money or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely true. That's definitely true. Um, uh, you know, I, I have friends who have certainly 
uh, talk to me about how they're like, how is it harder to schedule something with you now that you're not working <laughs> a, a litigation attorney job in addition to all of the other things you were doing before? And it's, it's just because it's constant. Um, well, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's interesting, too, because I, I think I think a lot of people, filmmakers and entrepreneurs, and let's face it, we're all entrepreneurs. Anybody that's pursuing this sort of artistic endeavor, you know, if, if you look at film and you want to make money doing it, uh, your film is your business. It is your, you know, the end product of that business is your film. Uh, you got to get it out there selling. But the thing is, you know, life's so short. I, I think the reason why people become entrepreneurs and really go after what they want is because they want to leave some sort of a legacy. But what what's driving you right now? I, I really like the idea of making things. Um, and I also feel that I'm someone that has something to say. And I want to say it, you know, I've seen the impact that I could have doing the work that I was doing as an attorney, and I was able to impact people's lives on a one to one basis. But a story, a story can impact so much more than that. You know, you hear a good story, you tell it for the rest of your life. And it's something that can shape opinions. It's something that can drive people. It's something that can inspire people. And I think about the stories that have done that to me and to be able to be part of that and to have the ability to share those kind of stories with other people and possibly touch somebody and have that kind of impact with somebody else. That's what it's all about for me. Um, I, I just want to be able to be a part of that. And I want to be able to tell these stories. And it's, I, I started looking at things and there were types of things that I liked and there was some stuff that I saw that I wasn't seeing. And, and so, you know, I'll just make the thing that I want to see. And then I can, maybe there's somebody else out there who's like me who also wants to see it. Well, let's, let's talk about going back to, to putting together that pool of investors outside of Hollywood uh, that you're approaching. And, and obviously, you don't have to mention names or any of that kind of stuff. But I'd love to know, what, what's your method for going out, identifying the, the high net worth individuals, then getting the meeting, then actually getting them to sign a check? How, how are you? What's your process for all of that? Yeah, I mean, so the, the first part is, is that I go to a considerably large number of networking events. I go to networking events that have absolutely nothing to do with film or entertainment. I go to general business networking events all the time. I've been to two of them already today before we're recording this. And I'm meeting doctors. I'm meeting lawyers. I'm meeting financial planners. I'm meeting investment bankers. I'm meeting realtors, meeting brokers, meeting people from all different kinds of walks of life that have some level of disposable income and they have an investment portfolio that has an amount that's allocated towards alternative investments or risky investments or something else. And if they're not investing in film, they're investing in restaurants, they're investing in other businesses, they're investing in startups, they're doing all of these other kinds of things. And a lot of them that I have found is what the reasons they haven't ever invested in film before is they didn't even know it was a possibility. They don't even know that that's an option that exists to them or how any of it works. And so the biggest obstacle is not even really identifying the people. It's that once you get in and start talking to people, you have such a steep education curve and bringing them up to speed on what's going on, how it works and what the opportunities are. Do you lead more with uh, potential financial return or do you lead more with the glamour and glitz of the film business? You know, you know, here here in Nashville, the glamour and glitz doesn't sell very well um, because they're around a lot of that celebrity in another way, you know, with music. But the idea of the experience more than just the glamour, like the idea that you're going to be able to sit in a theater and that you're going to be able to show this thing to somebody that you made. And also the idea of the permanency of it. Like you're going to make this thing that lasts forever in a fixed medium and you're going to have it. Like you invest in a restaurant and the restaurant doesn't go well. It's an empty business and they're selling crabs there, you know, two weeks later. And whatever it is that you built and put up there is gone. But you make a movie and you make a movie, that movie's there. Whether it makes money, loses money, whatever. You have the film. 
and you have that thing there for the rest of your life that you can show to your kids, you can show to your grandkids. That's something that we have found has resonated with people a lot. Uh, also, people really like the idea of being around the making of it because they've seen films their whole life. And the idea that they could possibly come to set or that they could meet an actor, you know, those things are certainly something that are exciting to them. In the end, most of the people we're talking to are business people, and you've got to be able to talk to them using language that they understand. And if you can't talk to them about things in a business way, in a business sense, uh, in a way that will relate to them in a way that they can understand, then you're not going to really get past it, even though if it sounds exciting. I, I wanted to find what kind of pushback, but it sounded like you were going in that direction. Yeah. So I mean, let me give a, a couple of examples of it. So, you know, one of the first things that people always say is they say, well, you know what? I don't invest in an industry that I don't know anything about. Um, and that's the first financial advice that anybody ever gets, right? If you're going to invest in something, invest in something that you know. That's really colloquially sounds good. But the truth of it is, is that the things that people do when they're saying that, they don't really know. You know, some guy might go out and invest in a brewery because he thinks it makes sense, but he doesn't know how to make beer. He's not really investing in a thing that he truly knows about. He's just investing in a business that he thinks makes sense to him, and he thinks it'll make money. So if you can show him that you think that this is going to be successful and you think that it's going to make money, the fact that he doesn't know how it's made isn't going to really matter. Um, but you've got to be able to make them feel confident in that regard. The other pushback that you get is that, uh, you know, that they've never been approached with this before. They don't have any idea about it. So you have to spend the time because they're used to, when they look at a business, they're like, what are your inventory? What are your revenue streams? What are you generating on a yearly basis? And, you know, you know, as well as I, that that's not the way the film business works. Instead of having a, a, a thousand widgets that you sell once, you have one widget that you sell a thousand times. Like you, you are just making one big thing that you're going to sell a lot. And being able to explain that in a way that can make sense to them is, is difficult. I, I've come to similar conclusions and conversations I've had. And, you know, I, I, I'm always looking for parallels as you are in how do we compare this to other businesses so that you can talk the talk to people that understand commerce in general. And I find that the closest analogy I've found, and I don't know if you've uncovered this, would be timeshares. You know, the idea that you can buy one piece of real estate, but resell it 52 times um, per year. And I look at that analogy a lot with motion pictures, because with a motion picture, you're not just selling it once, um, but you're selling it to all these different international territories and the rights revert back to you. Do, do you have because um, believe me, I could talk to you all day about this stuff and you and I could geek out, but, uh, <laughs> but I want to, I want to distill this down to some really useful information for the listeners. So you mentioned some of the, you, you mentioned the two factors in terms of pushback that you get from prospective investors. So I'd love to know how you have overcome uh, those objections. And, and that's probably a good word for you with the legal background, but in any sale, there, there's always some sort of barrier in the communication. How do you overcome that stuff? I mean, you know, the first thing with any sale is that when you're talking to people is trying to identify what their problem is. And that's weird to go into when you're talking about doing a film investment, right? Because it's like, well, what is this solving? But people have all kinds of problems. Their problem might be that they're bored. Their problem might be that they always wanted to have a creative career that they didn't have. The problem might be that they've got money that just sits there and doesn't do anything or it makes money, but they don't really understand how it works. And it's not very exciting. You got to find out where that pain point is for them and not make it about the business side of it entirely, but find out emotionally which way you can connect with them as a person. And then once you can find out what that problem is, then you can present yourself as the solution to it. And whether that's selling movies or whether that's selling real estate or whether that's selling anything, 
I think that that's the best way to try to go about and approach a sales situation in general, which just means that you have to spend time with all of these people that you're meeting, not talking to them about your film, not pitching them on the opportunity, but talking to them about them, getting to know about what their life is like and getting to know what's going on with them so you can find out what's the way that you're going to approach them because you're going to know what is it that they're missing that you can provide? You know, the more I learn uh, and the more I grow, the more I realize the fundamentals of business or something, you know, stuff that I learned selling hot tubs in college for my first sales job. I mean, it's weird. People don't think about attorneys as salesmen, but if I'm going and talking to a client and they need to settle their case, but they want to try their case, but it's in their best interest to settle it. I got to go in there and sell them on that idea. I've got to get them to trust me. I've got to make sure that they understand why it's in their best interest. And I've got to figure out what the obstacle is for them between doing it and what it is they need to get across that finish line. And it's the same thing with doing this. It's that, but you, the, the thing that you can't substitute for and you can't sh- shortcut is it just takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of talking to people about what's going on with them and also taking a long-term view with it. Because what's going to happen is that you're going to get pushback, you're going to get somebody or even that says they're interested, and then they're not going to talk to you. And then it's going to be two months later, and they're still not going to have talked to you. And you're going to have to have just been following up with them over and over and over and over and over and over again in order to continue that conversation. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's true that that similar thing is in every sale that I've ever had where you, you where you're chasing people, you have this really fantastic conversation, and then it goes radio silent. And, and that's, you know, I think that's something that you, me, and everybody listening to this should expect. As much as Hollywood would have you believe, these success stories don't happen overnight. It takes some effort, tenacity, and persistence uh, long after most people would give up. And, and you certainly, I feel like you, you breathe that as part of your, um, your philosophy. Hey, tell me one thing, though, while we're talking about investors, and, and this is interesting. I've been wanting to ask somebody in your situation this for a while. Have you encountered anybody so far in raising the money that they're interested, you know, they're real, but you just can't stand the person. So you're like, I'm not going to do business with this person. Yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> and I've just told, and I've just told them, no, I, I, I have turned, I have turned money away uh, in regards to this project specifically people who I've talked to, who have said that they've wanted to invest. And I've had to just make the decision that one, either I thought that they were, uh, overextending themselves in a way that I thought wasn't useful and was going to create more headaches than it was worth. Or two, I, I just didn't get along with them uh, as a person in a, in a pretty specific way. And I thought, again, this is going to be more problem than it's worth because this whole process is hard and this whole process takes a long time and you're going to be involved with these people for a long time. So it's not just about finding the money, but about finding the right money because you're going to be on a journey together for a long time. Where are you at now, Trey? How much more money do you need to raise? So I've uh, raised $110,000 this year so far. Uh, I've got to raise 140 more. Um, it is starting to come in different chunks. Uh, the first part is definitely the hardest part. I mean, it, it definitely starts to have a snowball effect. It's amazing the psychological effect that I see with people when I'm talking to them, when you tell them you've got $90,000 and then you tell them you got $100,000. They just pay different attention. Um, and, and getting to those milestone points are definitely big. And we're starting to see different reactions from people we're talking to as a result of it. I guess the question that a lot of filmmakers are going to have is, why did you chose to go the traditional equity funding route versus, say, crowdfunding? I wanted people to to be involved. And I'm also looking past this project. I've done crowdfunding in the past for stuff that we've done. And crowdfunding can be effective to get that individual project made. 
But then when you go to make the next project, you're starting over again, you know, because people weren't invested in it. They got a poster, they got a thank you, they got something like that, and they feel like they may have given to something, but they don't feel like they were a part of it. They don't feel like they're in a community. They don't feel like they have a business relationship. And, and so instead, I wanted people to have that equity because I wanted them to be on the team. And I want them to be able to, to have that direct benefit so that the next time the project comes around for the next project, we don't have to start from the ground up and build from nothing again. Yeah, and I guess this takes a full circle back to the idea of, um, you know, your relationships, right? Because you are trying to do this for the long term. And that forces you and any of us that are ethical uh, to, to try to do right by the right people. Yeah, no doubt. I, I see a lot of people willing to do whatever it takes to get the one project made. They burn a lot of bridges. They do a lot of different things. They, they, and, and then they go to the next project and they have to start over because all of the contacts that they developed won't, don't want to have anything to do with them because of the way that they handled the last project. And I, I'm trying to take a longer-term approach to what it is that's going on because I want those long-term relationships. I've been able to see what the benefits of that type of approach can be from my previous career uh, and even in what we're doing now. I mean, my brother just shot a film last year with a guy we met seven years ago, never worked together, just maintained the relationship for that time, and then ended up getting hired as a DP to shoot uh, a film, a feature film, uh, last year as a result of it. So we try to take a long-term approach to relationship building. Well, I think it, I think it's smart to take a long-term approach to not just the relationship building, but this business in general. I think a lot of people, and we've hit on this a few times in this conversation, but you you really reinforce this for myself and the listeners that you know what this is not overnight success. Here you are charging away, but you got you got a hundred k in the bank as a result of your efforts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I make the joke a lot with uh, with my brother and my wife. I said, I can't wait to have worked a decade to be an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and as I talk to you, I think this podcast right now is like 10 years old. And uh, anyway, I totally get it. I do, you know, before we wrap it up, if you were to start over, because you, you've also been doing this for 10 years, you started out with the short films, you built that relationship, or I should say that working relationship with your brother, and now here you are raising money for a feature. But if I was just starting tomorrow and I wanted to make a feature film or get started in this whole crazy industry, what advice would you give? I mean, there's a couple of different things that I would say it is that, you know, if you have a feature script already and you feel like it's good enough, go for it. Uh, yeah, I see a lot of people making a short for a feature for advertising purposes or anything else. It's hard to get the money together for that and everything too. And you might as well just go ahead and get a little bit more money and go for it. Um, if you are making short films, I think there's a lot of value still there. When you go to a film festival with a short film, you know what they call you? Filmmaker. It's not some other thing. It gets you in the door. Um, but if you are going to be going into that process and going down that route, Go to the festivals. The number of people that I see that make something and get into a festival and don't go is insane to me. It is some of the best professional networking that's available. So much of the, what we've done up until this point has come as a result of festivals. And they really are valuable at a lot of different places across the country and not just the big ones. You know, of course, there's Cannes and, and South by Southwest and TIFF and all of these places. And that's great. But there's a lot of other stuff that's out there, too, where you can meet a lot of really great people. And the thing that's been crazy that I have found is that everybody's really willing to help. We're all in it together trying to make something and everybody's looking to make something great and make something new. And when they're talking to you, they don't know yet whether or not that you can help them do that. But 
everybody I have found is generally pretty friendly about it. Um, a, a couple of other practical pieces of advice is recognize that it is going to take a long time and it is going to be hard. And there is no one that cares whether or not you do it. The only person that cares whether or not you do it is you. Your family doesn't care. Your friends don't care. No one else cares. They want you to be happy. They want you to do something. But if you told them tomorrow that you were going to quit and go do something else, they would be like, well, as long as you're happy. And that's not a negative point. That's an empowering point because that means that the only thing that's in between you and what it is that you're trying to do is you because no one else cares whether or not you're doing it. You have to go out there and do it. And you have to go out there and do it with passion and purpose and drive. And then you have to make people care about it because as of right now, they don't care. They don't know who you are. And so you have to go out there and make it happen. And, you know, uh, so like, but basic practical things is realize that you're going to have to take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meetings to get to the people that it is that you want to talk to and to find the people that are going to connect with you. But you just have to keep going and you have to keep doing it. Uh, two, go to festivals. If you get into a festival, go to the festival. If you find out that that wasn't a good festival, don't submit to it next year and find other festivals and go to them, but go to the festivals, meet people, follow up with them, maintain those relationships. Uh, and then three, if you go out to eat, you're out with your wife, you're out with your significant other, you're out with your husband, whatever it is you're doing. Um, I, don't sit at a table, sit at the bar. The absolute best professional networking I've done during this year is just going to restaurants and sitting at bars. I have three people who have invested in this film that just sat next to me at a bar. First of all, that's advice I've never heard ever. Um, I've, I've traveled a lot for business. And, and as you're saying that, I, I, I'm putting two and two together in my head. And I'm replaying all the conversations I've had at airport bars and that kind of stuff. Or, or even traveling. Usually when I used to travel, I would travel alone. And you're right. When you're alone, you go and have dinner by yourself at the bar. And you talk to the bartender in, in that hotel bar or that kind of stuff. Are those the kinds of people that you're meeting? You're meeting like people that are traveling, they're on the road, they're business professionals, or, or they're just lonely yeah. and they're eating at a bar? Um. You know, some of it, some of it, you know, it, it's weird. It's some of it, it's that. I mean, I'll give you an example. It was actually, I was having dinner. My, it, this actually came up just by coincidence. This is the thing I learned just because my wife likes to eat at the bar. She likes talking to the bartenders. She would rather sit at the bar than sit at a table. And so we were at a restaurant that a friend of ours owns, and we were sitting at the bar having dinner. And this this guy came up and sat next to me and said, is anybody sitting here? And I was like, no, welcome to the bar. Uh, and he sat down, and I just turned back and started talking to my wife. And I heard him order his drink, and he ordered a Grey Goose up with a lemon twist. And I just turned around and said, hey, what do you do? And started a conversation with him. Uh, turned out that he was a neurosurgeon there in town. He just finished a shift and stopped in to get dinner. He's an investor in the film now. Oh my gosh. And and probably a really good guy to know uh, just in terms of doing right by him and all the other surgeons that that gentleman knows as well. Exactly. Exactly. But that opportunity only comes up because there's never a point where you're like, well, this is, I'm not doing it right now. I'm not working. I'm doing something else. It's that you have to make yourself available to those opportunities. Well, Trey, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I mean, there's so much wisdom that you've been able to unwrap today and I can't wait to share this with our listeners. Are you, are you public? Do you have any sort of like uh, social media or, or where could people get in touch with you if they, if they wanted to? Yeah. Uh, best way to reach me is easily on Twitter uh, at Trey MC. T-R-E-Y-M-C. Um, but yeah, I'm on there. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, all of those kinds of things. And then also our company website, which is bestpartproductions.com. Awesome, Trey. Well, thanks for spending some time. Appreciate you and good luck with the rest of your, uh, with, with the rest of your uh, funding. Oh, thanks so much. And thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.